Here's what happened in sports jersey history for February 4th. We talk about the great goaltending of Grant Fuhrer. And Ray Durbin of Row 1 Brand stops by to discuss his two favorite number 40s of all time. Listen in and learn about more sports history along with me from the uniforms and jerseys the players wore. And it's all coming up from you right now. Hi, my name's Darren Hayes, and I know you've heard me on the Pigskin Dispatch talking about football history for years. Well, now I'm on a new mission, a quest to find sports history in other sports as well as football by learning through the jerseys and the apparel and the gear that the players wore and the franchises supplied their teams. It's an educational trip, and I'm taking you with me day by day, player by player, uniform by uniform, the Sports Jersey Dispatch. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my sports history friends. This is Darren Hayes of Sports Jersey Dispatch, and welcome once again to the Pigpen. And we are here to talk about some great history of sports through the jerseys that the players wore. And we're going to talk mainly about February 4th. But we have uh, Ray Durbin, our good friend from Row One Brand, a great sponsor of the program of Sports History Network, uh, that's going to come on and talk about a couple of his favorite number 40s uh, near the tail end. So hang on for that. But first, let's get you some of the historic events that happened on February 4th. And the first one happened in 1952. The legendary athlete Jackie Robinson, who not only helped break the color barriers in college football and Major League Baseball, climbed over another hurdle on this day in 52. On this date, number 42 became the first African-American to become an executive at a major television station, which was WNBC in New York City. February 4, 1979, at the 29th annual NBA All-Star Game, which was held at the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan, the West Stars outshined the East standouts by the tune of 134 to 129. The game's most valuable player was number 33 of the Denver Nuggets, shooting guard David Thompson. February 4, 1986. Well, this is going to take us and guide us to our sort of our sports jersey uh, player of the day is that the NHL All-Star Game, Hartford Civic Arena, the Wales Conference defeated the Campbell Conference 4-3 in overtime. Now, the MVP of that game was goalie Grant Fuhr, number 31 of the Edmonton Oilers at the time. Fuhr got his professional start in the AJHL with the Sherwood Park Crusaders and then moved on to the WHL's Victoria Cougars for a couple seasons, according to EliteProspects.com. Then he made his NHL debut with Wayne Gretzky and the Edmonton Oilers against Winnipeg Jets on October 14, 1981. Fuhr became an integral piece of the Oilers' dynasty of the 1980s by almost becoming an impenetrable stone wall in front of the Edmonton goal for most of the decade. Grant was part of the Edmonton squads that won four Stanley Cup championships in five years. And it wasn't just the great one scoring, but the defense of the Oilers' net was a big part of the team's success too. In 10 seasons, Fuhrer had 11,059 saves with the Oilers in 423 games played. His average of saving about 90% of the shots fired over his uh, career never really wavered through much of that great career. And everything was going pretty well for the young netminder. Then almost out of the blue in 1989, the future Hall of Fame goalie threatened to walk away from the game at 26 years of age. At the height of his talented run, 
thanks to an apparent dispute with Glenn Sather and some really bad advice from his agent, Rich Winter. Much of this stemmed from Winter not getting along with Sather. Allegedly, the two had a confrontation in which they engaged in a session of shoving each other while trying to work out a new deal for Fuhr back in 1987. And perhaps the saving grace for Edmonton, who notoriously was known for, to underpay their top talent, was that Rich Winter was able to secure Fuhr a five-year contract with Pepsi-Cola that would have seen the future Hall of Famer have his Pepsi logo on each of his pads, starting with the upcoming 1989-1990 season. The contract with Pepsi was quite a good salary supplement on paper for Fuhr. There was one problem, though, however, with it. The NHL did not allow for individuals to have advertisings on their persons. They wanted a standard uniform on every player on the team, and this fueled the heat between Fuhr and the Oilers even further. It drove a wedge in between them. He literally filed the retirement papers with the club, but Sather never filed them with the league offices, and eventually things settled down in the dispute. And Rob Soria, on the HockeyWriters.com article of July of 2021, wrote this. After coming to this realization, it was that the NHL and not the Oilers who was prohibiting from putting on the deal with Pepsi into action, his stance softened. On October 24, 1989, it was made official that Fuhrer would be remaining with the orange and blue. Though his agent did him no favors with the approach he took, the fact that the situation turned into the fiasco it did was on the player. After a couple of more lukewarm seasons of contract dispute, suspension, an injury, Fuhr was set to make his return in the crease in the 59th game of the 1990 season. It had been nearly two years since he was on the ice healthy. The goalie shed his normally colorful pads and wore mainly white ones to represent his clean new start. Apparently, in the background, he had been battling some demons, and now after a year of mending, he was ready to rekindle his hockey career. His comeback game against the New Jersey Devils showed he was back as the Oilers won 4-0, he ended up regaining his status as a top goalie on the squad eventually and convinced the league that he was indeed back to old form. Fuhrer departed the Oilers in 1991 and went on to play with Toronto, then Buffalo, Los Angeles, St. Louis, and Calgary before calling it a career after the 1999 season. We salute number 31 Grant Fuhrer for overcoming his personal obstacles and giving to others the inspiration and hope that may be in the same circumstance that they too can recover and thrive in life. And that's why number 31, Grant Fuhrer, is our sports jersey of the day. And what a great uh, story that is for the great hockey legend. Our next story in history takes us to February 4th, 1990 at the NFL Pro Bowl in Aloha Stadium in Honolulu, Hawaii. The NFC defeated the AFC 27-21 and the MVP was Jerry Gray, the Los Angeles Rams defensive back. On February 4th, 1996, the NFL Pro Bowl in Aloha Stadium, Honolulu, the NFC defeated the AFC 20-13, and the most valuable player was number 80 of the 49ers, wide receiver Jerry Rice. February 4th, 1997, the Pittsburgh Penguins number 66 star Mario Lemieux became the seventh National Hockey League player to reach the plateau of scoring 600 goals in his career. We just had another one just the other day we were talking about. February 4th, 2001, another NFL Pro Bowl game, Aloha Stadium. The AFC defeated the NFC 38-17 that year, and the MVP was none other than number 12 of the Oakland Raiders, quarterback Rich Gannon. 
In 2001, number 13 of the Boston Bruins, right wing Bill Guerin, was selected as the most valuable player of the 51st NHL All-Star Game, played at the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado. North America defeated the world 14-12. Where's the defense in that game, huh? The fans were there to watch some uh, pucks being put on net. In February 4th, uh, 2007, Super Bowl 41, Dolphin Stadium, Miami Gardens, Miami, Florida. The Indianapolis Colts eased by the Chicago Bears 29-17. And the game's most valuable player was Indianapolis quarterback Peyton Manning, who wore number 18. In 2018, on February 4th, we had Super Bowl 52 take place at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The Philadelphia Eagles surprised the New England Patriots 41-33 to take home the Lombardi, guided by the Philly special play. The game's MVP trophy was given the recipient of that now-famous pass play, uh, Philadelphia quarterback Nick Foles, who wore number 9 in the big game. And like we said, now I want to take you to our sports jersey take of the day. It's by Ray Durbin of Row One Brand as he speaks of the comparisons of his two favorite number 40s. We have our friend Ray Durbin. And for those of you not familiar with Ray Durbin, we've talked to him on Pigskin Dispatch quite a bit. He is a great sponsor of the Sports History Network and Pigskin Dispatch, and we appreciate him. And he is also a great historian and preserver of great history of sports and all sports with his Row One brand. That's a... R-O-W-O-N-E brand.com. Uh, make sure you check out that website. We have some links on Pixie and Dispatch and Sports Jersey Dispatch. It'll take you to Sports History Network to get some discounts. Uh, Ray Durbin, welcome to the Pigpen. Well, thanks. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here again and visit with you about some uh, outstanding uh, football players. As I understand, uh, this particular uh, program is going to deal with famous numbers or numbers of athletes that uh, I'm particularly fond of. Yes, I'd like to proceed by talking about some of my favorites that were number 40. Well, basically, I, I started out one of my favorite players uh, since the time I was a little kid was uh, Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch. And, and I guess the reason I was uh, initially uh, enamored with him as a player is the fact that I like that nickname, uh, Crazy Legs. And also, uh, at, at that point in time, when I first started watching pro football, not that many teams had the uh, iconic uniform like uh, the Rams did with the actual Ram drawn, Ram horn uh, drawn on the helmet, painted on the helmet. And so I was all fired up about that when the Rams would play my beloved Lions. Uh, I couldn't wait to see Norm Van Brocklin, uh, Crazy Lakes Hurst, Tom Fears uh, against um, – and their quarterback, either Bob Waterfield or Norm Van Brocklin, and, of course, uh, Bobby Wayne quarterbacking for the Lions. So uh, I've always been intrigued by Hirsch. Um, and, I, you know, when I started uh, looking into this a little bit to get some items of interest, I, I found out that you had previously, the Pigskin Dispatch, had done a program on – uh, athletes who had uh, worn number 40. I think he did a program back in May of 2021. Very interesting. I, I, I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, this so happens in your program, you and your, your associate that you're interviewing a, a representative of the NFL, uh, you categorize him as uh, Sayers as being the greatest player to ever wear, wear number 40 gal Sayers. And I think Elroy Hurst came in number two. 
and I'm going to flip-flop that. <laughs> okay. Hey, that's that's great. I mean, that's... A, uh, that's, in, that's... In just, just briefly on um, Elroy Crazy Legs Hearse, uh, he was born in 1923 in Wisconsin. Uh, he was an outstanding uh, athlete in high school, and then he attended the University of Wisconsin. Freshman year, I don't think they were eligible uh, back then when they were freshmen, but in the 1942 season, he started as a sophomore. He was all Big Ten. He led them to an 8-1-1 one, and one record. Um, they won all their games, and the only one they lost to was University of Iowa. Beat them 6-0. to zero. But in that, they had a tie against Notre Dame 7-7, and I think uh, what was interesting, they upset the previous year's national champion, Ohio State, by a score of 17-7. to seven. So and then that was basically attributable to uh, Hertz. He was uh, all-purpose back. He punted. He ran uh, punt and kickoffs back. He passed. I, I think probably at that maybe they were uh, running a single wing or something like that. Where a lot of times a half back or a back would throw the ball more than they do now. And uh, he, he was just an excellent runner, pass receiver, everything. Now, what's interesting about Hirsch, he, he played one year at the University of Wisconsin. They had a really, really good record. And then in 42, during World War II or 43, after the uh, 42 season, I believe, he enlisted in the uh, Marines, and they assigned him to University of Michigan as part of their program where they would uh, train college graduates, and, and they had a program at University of Michigan. So he wound up... Uh, starting for University of Michigan in that following year. What was interesting, all the sports writers and everything said that uh, this was a government's Lend-Lease program to University of Michigan to get him uh, him over there playing for them. And uh, he did really, really well. I think I have my years right. 42 and 43, he lettered in for sports, football, basketball, track, and baseball. So he's an outstanding athlete. Uh, one story was uh, in the fall, the spring of 43, I believe, he participated in a track meet in Ann Arbor. And uh, he, he had a broad jump of 24 feet, two and, two and a quarter inches or so. Then that same day, he traveled to Columbus, Ohio to pitch in a, a game, and he pitched a, a one hitter, and uh, Michigan beat Ohio State 5 0. So that, that's his background. He's just an excellent athlete. He after the war, he was drafted in the first round, number five, by the Cleveland, what was at that time, the Cleveland Rams. And, and then they sub, this was in a 45 draft. He got out of service, I believe, in 46. But he didn't want to go to L.A. at that time. He wanted to um, play in Green Bay, but the Rams had, the, um, had his uh, contract rights. So he wound up signing with the Chicago Rockets and played a couple of years there. And so that's kind of interesting that Hirsch and Gail Sayers, we'll talk about in a few minutes, they both started their professional careers in Chicago. Uh, and after um, uh, Hirsch played there for a couple of years, uh, the Chicago Rockets kind of uh, took a nosedive where they went the <laughs> league disbanded. And uh, so he then was picked up by the uh, Los Angeles Rams and began his career there. He had an outstanding, outstanding professional career. I'm not going to go into all the details, but both he and Sayers 
uh, were on the all. Uh, he was on the 1950s all-decade team. He was on the uh, all-time all-pro team. I'm talking about, uh, well, both of them. He was on the uh, 50th anniversary NFL team, 75th and 100-year. They, they selected the players for the all-NFL team, I think, in 2019, and both of them were selected. Now, for each one, the, the groups, you know, they might have four or five receivers on that team. And, and so how good you are, in, in part, is who you're surrounded by. And in this case, the people that were selected for that all-100-year all team, in terms of receivers, are people like Rice, uh, Fitzgerald, Lance Allworth. Of course, Elroy Hurst was on that for a receiver. And um, just, you know, probably about six or seven best receivers in the history of the NFL, and he was selected that. You know, after his playing career, and, and he set all sorts of records in the early 50s when he was playing for the Rams in terms of receiving. Back then, the Rams were kind of a high-powered offense, you know, at, at that time. It was in 51, I think they won the national, national the, the uh, championship, uh, NFL championship. And uh, he, he just had numerous records, everything. Now, after he left the Rams, he went into uh, sports administration. He was a general manager for uh, the Rams for a period of time. And then he was subsequently hired as the athletic director by his uh, alma mater, University of Wisconsin. And he spent a number of years there. The other thing interesting about Hearst is he was in business. Uh, he made movies. I, I think had about four or five movies to his credit, one of which was a story about his life. Uh, and uh, he played that role. And um, this was probably made in the mid-50s, so he had the acting. Now, I'd, I'd like to talk just a little bit about Sayers because they have a lot of similarities. And, and I wasn't aware of this. It, it's interesting. They were born uh, 20 years apart. I think Hearst was born in 23. Sayers was born in 43. Roughly the same time of year. Uh, Sayers was born in May and, and uh, Hearst was born in June. They both had their numbers retired in college. They were both excellent college athletes. They were really basically pretty similar inside her uh, size. Hearst was six feet two, 190 pounds. And Sayers was six feet, 198 pounds. Like me, he probably ate a few more chocolate chip cookies than first, so <laughs> I would put on more weight. But um, they're both really great players. Uh, the other thing I, I found very interesting was some of their similarities. They were both drafted by the NFL in the first round, and, and Hurst was drafted number five that year in 45, and in 1965, Sayers was drafted in the first round, and Depending on the source, he was either draft number four or number five. I saw one reference is draft number five, but they said the NFL drafted number four and the AFC drafted number five. They both started their careers playing in Chicago. Uh, I, I think uh, it's interesting how much influence wives have, but I, I can see that at that point in time, uh, he had a choice of going with the Kansas City Chiefs or going to the Chicago Bears. And his wife, I think, uh, Encourage him to go to Chicago. There's probably <laughs> more activity there at, the, at that point in time. The other interesting thing about him 
that, that the similarities, I, I think I indicated maybe if I already covered this, they were both football players and they both were track athletes, pretty good. And they both engaged in broad jump. And uh, uh, I think I gave that re- uh, figure of uh, Hirsch at a meet, had a broad jump of 24 feet, two and a quarter inches. About 20 years later, or wouldn't have been 20 years later, but when Sayers was in high school, he set the uh, Kansas high school record for broad jump, and it was 24 feet, like 10 inches or so. So they're both really gifted athletes. Um, Corsairs, uh, his career was kind of cut short. I didn't realize it was as brief as it was, only about seven years. And part of that time he was injured, but just the records that Sayers said. The other thing that struck me about Sayers, of course, I, you know, I watched him and that, but his yardage rush, rushing was almost identical, real close to the yardage he gained in kickoff and punt returns. It's just real, real dangerous runner. I, I, I think uh, I mentioned uh, the fact that uh, he played at University of Kansas, and, and I saw him play one time in person against Oklahoma. And uh, every all the fans rooting for Oklahoma, they were just on pins and needles every, every time a ball came any, anywhere close to him. Um, and, and one year they up said Oklahoma because he returned the kickoff 93 yards, the opening kickoff, he returned to 93 yards. You, you know, um, George Hallis said he was probably the best back that he had ever seen or ranked up there with all the great backs that he coached, like Red Grange and all. He, he was just really high on Gail Sayers. And again, <laughs> it's unfortunate he didn't play a longer longer period of time. The, the other thing about Gail Sayers and, and Hirsch a lot of similarities. They um, they both had head injuries while they were playing. Now, I know that sounds like kind of trite because a lot of players have head injuries, but that they were relatively um, significant. I, I think uh, Sayers was probably due to more of a a repeated, uh, you know, uh, concussive effect of being tackled so much and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Hurst got kicked in the head one time and they had to make a special helmet for him. So going through, I know that sounds kind of trite, like you could say, well, they both wore shoulder pads, but it is kind of interesting that they both had significant head injuries so much so that, you know, they think the Alsayers later suffered from dementia due to his head injuries while Hirsch had, they had to make him a special helmet. Um, The other thing that's interesting about them, they're, they're both really bright bright individuals uh they both after their playing career in the nfl uh, after having their numbers retired um they both got involved in sports administration uh i I think i talked about first being winding up athletic director at wisconsin uh sayers started out as an assistant athletic director at kansas his alma mater and then he became the athletic director for southern illinois for a period of about eight years or so and then he went into business and uh, had a very successful company, uh, computer support uh, company. Um, another interesting thing is the fact that they did have some relationship to uh, movies, that kind of stuff. We talked about Hearst being um, in, involved in some acting out in Hollywood, but also Gail Sayers was sort of involved in that uh, story about Brian Piccolo. 
made for TV thing. And my understanding is from your program earlier was that maybe they based that on Sayer's book that, that he had written about, or, or maybe, yeah, I think they did. And that, that could be the story of my life too. I, I come third behind uh, uh, my dog and my <laughs> wife, <laughs> grandson. But uh, no, it, it, it's interesting. I think he said he, he said he put the, he, he put God first and in his family and friends. Yep. That, that, he came third, something like that. Exactly right. That's exactly what he said. Good, good human uh, being. But that, that, you know, kind of some of the information surrounding why I particularly like the number 40 as a uh, football jersey number. Well, Ray, that, that was, I mean, great uh, insight, great uh, knowledge and uh, research on both those men. And I'd, I'd never realized the comparisons until you brought them up tonight. That's uh, extremely interesting. Their size and their careers sort of had a, a parallel trajectory 20 years apart. Uh, right. But I also also want to mention on uh, your row one brand uh, pictorum gallery, uh, you preserve the history of both these men uh, on, on the pictorum gallery. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, the, those pieces of art you have. Well, uh, I, I think we have uh, some photographic art of Gail Sayers. And uh, also um, there's a uh, artwork involving Elroy Hirsch, which is, in the form of a diagram of him uh, on, the, on the cover of a, of, of a book called, uh, or, or a little pamphlet that was put, put out by a, a company out there in California. And it just so happens he's on the cover of publication number one. But um, the, the name of this is The Fine Points of Football Offense. And hmm. uh, it, it's an interesting uh, cover. It, it shows him running and and catching a ball. And of course he, he was an outstanding receiver for his time. They said he was able to uh, sort of like Willie Mays in that famous catch he made where he caught it over his head, uh, over the shoulder catch. Uh, they said that that was just par for the course for Crazy Lakes Hurst. He wouldn't, he wouldn't look from side to side or turn his head or anything. He'd just take off down the field and either Norman Brocklin or Waterfield would throw him a ball and he would tilt his head back and try to see the ball coming over. And then he would run to it. I mean, they'd throw it straight. And he would just he'd tilt his head back and try to uh, find the ball and just keep running. The other thing interesting, just real briefly about, about his, well, how he got his nickname Crazy Lakes. And, and again, you know, an interesting thing is just some of these players, I, I never thought about it until we were talking here. Might be interesting to hit uh, the, the some uh, stories about all of the weird or iconic nicknames of some of the players. Uh, now, maybe you've already done that, and I, I apologize if you have. But it and and Hurst, they said he got his name because uh, when when one of the when uh, University of Michigan was playing at Great Lakes Naval Academy. Uh, or it could have been the University of Wisconsin, but I know it was Great Lakes. A sports writer uh, said his legs are going every which way. You know, they're going like eight different directions. And <laughs> da da da. And he said he looked like a the crazy legs, and he looked like a demented duck the way he was running. <laughs> and uh, he he did his his feet were kind of splayed out or something. I, I guess he had a funny gait, but he's really fast. So. 
Uh, I've tried to pattern myself after him. Uh, <laughs> but he, uh, someone said his father also said what he would do, he would run and skip to school when he was a kid. He would, he would run all the way to school and skip and run. And he, uh, the sidewalks, he would try to, he'd try to cross his legs over as he was running because he thought that would make him more elusive. <laughs> so, uh, whatever he did, it, it worked. <laughs> it did work. So, uh, I guess as, as far as number 40, that's about all I can offer. No, but hey, that is fantastic. And I, I wanted to, to mention, uh, you know, the Gale Sayers, uh, on the Pictorum gallery. I just went, uh, to race site row one brand and, uh, clicked on the gallery it takes you to the pictorum gallery i typed in gail sayers and this piece of art came up 1966 gail sayers chicago bears photo art and it's a black and white uh during a game and sayers is like uh he's running but he's like midair and he's uh got a lineman you know trying to throw a low block on a look it looks like it might be the lions in this photo too it's hard to tell oh, okay. black and white uh, and and uh, so maybe that's one of the games that you were you were watching as as yeah. a youngster when you're watching Sayers. Uh, right. say, yeah. But he he's he's floating in air with an official in the background. It's a great piece of art. Look look great on anybody's wall or coffee cup or shower curtain or whatever uh, you want to do. Uh, Ray can help you out there. And uh, we have a links on the Sports Jersey Dispatch podcast uh, website and on Pigskin Dispatch and also sportshistorynetwork.com. And Ray is generous if you go through one of those links to, to give a, a discount on anything you buy on that Pictorum Gallery. So make sure you take advantage of that by putting in the code SHN15. So Ray German, we appreciate you coming on. We appreciate uh, your preservation of sports and for uh, supporting uh, us here on the podcast and the Sports History Network and uh, appreciate your time today. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I always enjoy listening to your programs and listening to you. Well, that was a great comparison by Ray. Uh, I never realized uh, how much those two were alike. Uh, some great job by Ray Durbin. Make sure to check him out. Row One Brand. Uh, we have links to it on the sides, left sides of both Pigskin Dispatch and Sports Jersey Dispatch, and also on Sports History Network. Check out Ray's great wares that uh, he has Row One Brand. Also want to thank our, our music, uh, Gene and Mike Monroe for that great reggae in the beginning. And then uh, Jason Neff with his tune that you're hearing right now in the background and the one that's about to play in a second in our close and credits. Uh, also, we couldn't do it without uh, the great resources of On This Day, newspapers.com, uh, the sports uh, reference sites of pro football, baseball, hockey, and basketball reference. Uh, couldn't do that without them. They bring them some good information that we like to share with you. And uh, maybe, uh, please make sure you check out their websites as well. Till tomorrow, everybody, have a great sports day. We're dribbling around and see the shot clock's almost out, so we got to put up our shot and come back tomorrow for some more great sports history. We invite you to check out our websites, jerseydispatch.com and pigskindispatch.com, not only see the daily sports history, but to experience the preservation of great events and people that play the games. Find us on Pigskin Dispatch. It's also on social media outlets of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all your daily sports history. Pigskin Dispatch is happy to be associated with the Sports History Network, the sports headquarters of yesteryear, found at sportshistorynetwork.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network. 
your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.